Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Learners Podcast. I'm Missy Emler, your host. In this podcast, I explore topics in education through the modern learner's lens. I dig into our beliefs about learning, the modern contexts that impact learning in schools, and the practices that create the conditions for learning to take place. No matter how hard I challenge the status quo or push your thinking, remember this, I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to learn. Now, let's get started. I'm excited to kick off our next Modern Learners community theme, Places and Spaces, with today's interview with Tom Vanderark. Tom is the CEO of Getting Smart, and his brand new book, Place-Based Learning, has just been released. He co-authored the book with Emily Liebag and Nate McLennan. In the book, Vander Ark defines place-based education as anywhere, anytime learning that leverages the power of place to personalize learning. Later, the authors add the idea of connecting projects to community, delving into authentic problems, and encouraging public products which ultimately develop an ethic of contribution. I live in a small rural community along the Mississippi River. We have birds and wildlife galore and a beautiful park maintained by the Army Corps of Engineers. The Burlington Northern Railway runs along the river and the barges carry corn down the channel. Our community is also home of the National Brewery Museum. The museum illustrates the historical and economical, economical impact of beer on our community and the nation. Recently, the brewery opened a manufacturing facility to decrease the cost of distribution. I'd be remiss not to at least mention the agricultural community that is so prevalent as well. My hometown is also the setting of the infamous YouTube channel, How Farms Work. Our students could be on location every single day. There is so much to learn in our small town. And with so much to learn, it is difficult not to beam with pride. As you listen to today's show with Tom Vanderark, I invite you to think about your local community, what learning opportunities are available there. Review the place-based triangle. Ask yourself, what is the ecology? What is the economy and what is the culture in this place that I live? And how can I contribute to this community through place-based education? I'd love to hear about your local community. So please head over to modernlearners.community and sign in or sign up and let us know what you're thinking about your community. For now, Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. I'm so grateful that you're here. And I've got to tell you, I love the book. Thanks, Melissa. Great to be here. Glad you uh, liked the book. It was a labor of love. Yes, I I can tell that. Um, And so I guess I think the best way to do this is to sort of get right in it. So can you start off by defining place-based education, and you have a great definition on page two if you want help, 
But I think it's important that we start with defining it. Well, it's just, it's taking advantage of where you are, whatever that means. Um, you know, every place is a place and every place has something to teach. And so in short, it's like, open the door, go outside, um, look up, um, use what's around you uh, to, to take advantage of uh, where you are. Um, so place-based learning is learning about where you're from. We, we do love the idea of outdoor education. We love the idea of travel-based education. Uh, we like the idea of work-based learning. We think all of those can be super valuable, but I think at the very core of it is helping young people come to appreciate where they're from. We think that can be such a central part of identity development uh, to, to recognize the economy, the ecology, the culture, the history of the place they call home. And so we tried to take that sort of a rich, multifaceted view uh, to encourage teachers to open the door and to try to incorporate the community into learning. Absolutely. I, I think that's a great idea. And I'm glad that you brought up um, the other ideas, workplace learning and um, field trips and travel-based learning as a way, um, as part of it, but knowing that place-based education goes a little bit deeper and, you know, right where they are. I wanted to start off by talking about the positioning of place-based education. So in the book, you say place-based education sits firmly in the center of next generation learning models and is key to learner-centered school transformation. So that makes me wonder why place-based education and why now? Well, um, for 25 years, um, you and I and our colleagues have been trying to help teachers around the world make learning more personal. And we've been trying to help, um, we've been trying to help enable anywhere, anytime learning. Um, I learned so much from your colleague, Bruce Dixon, 25 years ago about that. And yet, I'm, I'm afraid that much of what has been implemented as a result of the historic shift from print to digital um, is, is kind of a, a trade-off of uh, print worksheets for digital worksheets. I've seen a lot of sterile versions of blended learning, and I'm afraid net, net we've probably reduced our connection to place as a result of the shift to digital. I don't think kids are taking as many field trips or connecting with, with their community, even though the shift to digital should have enabled more of that. And so I, I think a big part of this, um, that my co-authors and I wanted to introduce a rich version of learning maybe reignite the, the passion that brought a lot of people into the, the classroom and uh, just remind them of the amazing assets that are uh, probably right outside the door. And to do two things, really, to bring kids into the community and also bring the community into the schools so that young people really connect with who they are and where they're from. Yes. Um, you also talk a little bit about um, 
place-based education being rooted in agency, equity, and community. And as I was reading um, specifically chapter one and chapter two, which I definitely want to focus on today, the community as classroom, but there's an undercurrent of contribution. And in modern learners community, we often talk about the importance of contribution. So can you talk about what contribution means in relationship to place-based education? Wow, I love that question. Um, and I'm glad you picked up on that. And I feel so strongly about it um, that that's the subject of a new book that I'll finish this month um, on difference making and why we believe school ought to first and foremost be about difference making. Uh, we, we think difference making or, or contribution is really the superpower of the new economy. And what I mean by that is for 200 years, school has been about regurgitating knowledge, about solving small defined problems with correct answers. And we just don't live in that world anymore. We live in a world of complexity um, and, and opportunity. Uh, and most of the problems that young people are gonna work on when they leave school um, are complex and don't have a right answer. And they really won't know how to address those unless they start in school of walking into complex problems and using strategies like design thinking um, to, to spot and define problems, to understand constituency groups and deliver, uh, and deliver value. And we think learning how to do that is deeply rooted in, in place and, and a critical part of place. Um, so, it has the side benefit of being wonderfully motivating for young people because it, um, this, this idea of contributing to your community um, is authentic, it's um, engaging, it's purposeful, uh, and we think that makes school uh, really exciting for many young people. So it's, it's not only a, a shortcut to the most important skills for the innovation economy. It just makes school more uh, interesting and rewarding for, for young people. And relevant, right? It's all Completely about relevancy. Relevant. Totally. I, I was in a, a school Friday and Saturday in Memphis where they did um, bus tours around the city and were introduced to the challenges and opportunities of urban Memphis. And then they invited each of those young people into a, a research and writing project where they wrote about the, the, the challenges and opportunities that struck them most deeply. And so I, I spent a couple hours Friday with young people that were writing about um, blight and homelessness, uh, about urban food deserts, about um, water challenges, about income inequality, uh, and so while they each had the same project with the same driving question, they were each able uh, to dive into a specific aspect that was most important to them. So they were learning um, research skills, writing skills, collaboration skills. They were also specifically trying to understand who they are as learners. So it was a, a process of self-discovery and community discovery just a beautiful example of a place-based project. Right, and that's 
the interesting part about that to me is I think that those are the types of experiences that ignite passion. I think, you know, we, we want to acknowledge learners' passions and um, interests in as many learning opportunities as we can, but sometimes we don't provide opportunities to ignite those passions, so they don't necessarily even know they're there. This is such an interesting topic. Um, we believe that the opportunity to contribution can be fueled by passion for a student that already knows what they're interested in or being invited into contribution as a service opportunity can help them identify a passion. So it can, it can work either way, but in both senses, it's real important work. It is purposeful and it may help a learner identify uh, personal strengths and interests that become a, a, a purpose for their lives post-school. Yeah, for sure. The other thing that I think is interesting that comes out of this conversation about contribution and experiencing these opportunities is you quote um, Gloria Ladson Billings, and she reminds us that for centuries, groups of people have used their culture as the starting point for learning about and understanding the world and then incorporated education. But she contends that all too often education systems try to insert culture into education when we ought to be using culture as the context for yeah. it and viewing education through place. I don't think we do a very good job of recognizing our communities as the context for the learning. I'm, I'm afraid that our collective work in, in blended and personalized learning has made school uh, a bit more sterile, a bit more separated from our communities. And, um, and I, I think you said it beautifully that we have to enter into this work with the context of place. Um, the, the school that I was in Friday is a beautifully diverse by design school in downtown Memphis and because it is so diverse and because of where they are in the heart of the city, the learning is all about place. I will say I think it makes it the learning, it not only makes it more interesting, but it, it, it makes it more challenging. It, it's, it's not easy to walk through the door of place and to create a safe place where everyone feels a sense of belonging and attachment. Um, and from that platform, uh, be able to learn and explore together. Uh, so I don't know that it makes the learning easier, but it certainly makes it more interesting, more relevant, more powerful. Um, and I think in communities, both large and small, it's really important my co-author, Nate McLennan, is, is launching a network of rural schools around America, and he contends that this is critically important in rural America, where young people need an opportunity to come to understand the beauty and richness and history and opportunity that exist in urban America so that young people are not so uh, quick to leave, or at least maybe more likely to return having really embraced the power of place. 
Right. So I work in Southwest Wisconsin. I, I work in a regional service agency in addition to all of this modern learners work. And I serve 31 school districts who um, the whole district has less, the, our largest district has less than 1300 students. Yeah. And so I completely understand his concern and we are constantly fighting the brain drain and we want our learners and our kids to stay home and yet also continue to contribute and to continue to dream bigger for our small rural communities. So I, I can identify with that rural need. And yet I read this part about one of the things that will change place-based education um, is the accessibility of transportation. Right. Uh, with the advent of Uber and Lyft, um, those are fabulous. But in rural southwest Wisconsin, I don't think we have a plethora of um, Uber drivers. And having said that, that might be more of a mindset shift than an actual barrier, because there could be as many as there needed to be. We just haven't embraced it in the same way. Transportation has always been a, a challenge, and let, I think uh, it's important that we acknowledge it. Um, while we certainly didn't want to, we didn't want to limit the subject of place-based education to field trips, which right. some people historically have. Getting out of the building is is really critical, and doing that often involves the yellow bus. And then when you talk about something like work-based learning, where many young people are going many different places, uh, transportation is is a real real challenge. Uh, and if you have a commitment to equity that says we want everyone to have a good opportunity to have a, a valuable community service and work-based learning opportunity, then transportation is an issue. So no easy solutions, but we are really excited about um, the future. We're excited about rideshare uh, coming to schools. Um, my co-authors and I are doing a session at ASU GSV and we've invited some execs from Hop, Skip, Drive, which is an Uber for kids, uh, to join us for that session to describe the ways in which they're helping schools tailor uh, transportation plans for uh, individual students or small groups of students in a really affordable way. That's very interesting. So Hop, Skip, Drive, you said? It's a, a Denver startup that has offices in LA. They're active now in, in eight or nine communities around the country. Great. I'm going to link up to that in the show notes because that's definitely something many people probably are not aware of. I was in a, a school in Kansas City on Thursday um, and there was a taxi line when I walked out of the school and uh, and it was internship day, and because the school wants everyone to have safe and equitable access to internships, uh, they make uh, taxi service available uh, for young people. So that is expensive for many schools, but it's an example of a school that makes this possible. If you go to uh, Dubisky High School in, in Grand Prairie, Texas, that's right between Allison Fort Worth. It's uh, one of our favorite career education schools in the country, and they provide transportation for every student 
to go to their internship. So another example of making uh, place a priority and making sure that it's transported opportunity. That is fabulous. So let's dive into one of the potential barriers around the narrative with place-based education. And we've all heard um, and experienced situations where um, kids who school is not working for have opportunities to attend a different school with more focus on place-based education or different opportunities. So how do we shift the narrative and make it so that it's not just for kids who school doesn't work for and really make it available to everyone? And it's a narrative piece, right? It, it is. Um, I'm most fond of a regional answer to that question. Um, We're working with, um, 25 school districts in Kansas City in both Kansas and Missouri um, who are part of a real-world learning initiative sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation. And the goal is to make high school more valuable by adding more real-world learning, including client and community-connected projects, internships, college credit opportunities, entrepreneurial opportunities, and industry-related uh, credentials. And because those, they call them market value assets, were identified by the community, by employers and higher education, uh, the community has made that a priority. And it's now a priority for almost every high school in the region. And I think that sort of a collaborative conversation, a community conversation um, that really identifies new priorities that include learning in place, um, I I think that's um, the most valuable approach. Then it's not a, it's not a a rich and poor question. It's not an urban and rural question. It's how can we help every student in the metropolitan area have a really valuable high school experience that puts them um, on track to be successful in in post-secondary and work. And don't you think uh, that that can connects and aligns to recognizing what our competing commitments are? Sure. So I've been working through um, the immunity to change work out of Harvard, um, and it's important that we recognize what the competing commitments are to place-based education. And one of the competing commitments from my perspective is a significant um, value for the community placed on the statewide report cards um, that are issued to schools based on the results of standardized tests. And I think it's really important that we call into question what those competing commitments are so that we can have the discussion that place-based education doesn't mutually exclude you from doing well on a a school-wide report card? It doesn't. Um, Education leaders um, need to lead community conversations about what's important to that community. And in in many places, um, valued measures of achievement for both students and and performance for schools include 
uh, some traditional measures as well as uh, newly defined measures. Um, and so I, I think for every student, we should have a dashboard of, of indicators of how they're doing. And for every school, we ought to have a dashboard of indicators. And it's quite likely that that will include both traditional and new measures. This is one of the, the key developments of modern education uh, that you guys uh, really help illuminate so well. Um, what it means is that we have to be really intentional about our place-based experiences and that into each of those experiences, we need to draw in the expectations uh, that we have for learners. I, I talked about the um, Memphis School that I was at on, on Friday. Uh, a beautiful example of using place-based experiences uh, to promote writing um, and research, as well as collaboration and self-knowledge. In, in the class next door, um, in the algebra class, they were learning about um, population growth. And so they were linking place-based studies to some math units. They were also uh, um, emphasizing that week uh, collaboration skills. So being really mindful as uh, an experienced designer to make sure that those place-based opportunities are not only powerful um, and, and relevant and motivating, uh, but that they're also hitting uh, the, the learning expectations that are important to the community. And that's it, Co important to the community. And then finding a way to co-construct those experiences with the community, the teachers, as well as the learners. So you mentioned, you started to talk a little bit about design thinking earlier, and then you just referenced it in the response that you just gave me. I wonder what we need to do to better prepare our teachers to know and understand design thinking frameworks so that they can then apply them in the classroom and become more of a facilitator of learning yeah. instead of a deliverer of knowledge. Do you have any thoughts about how to level up the skills of our teachers in regards to this? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think for 20 years I've been saying uh, if we want teachers to, to deliver personalized learning, they need more personalized learning themselves. Um, what what I, I don't think I've been saying frequently enough, if we want teachers to take advantage of the power of place, we need them to have uh, experiences that are tied to the power of place. De design thinking is so, I think, inextricably linked to place-based learning because um, places are so complicated. And to me, what um, design thinking is, I would also say computational thinking, which is a cousin that draws more from uh, computer science where design thinking really uh, comes from the design space. And it's the marriage but of both. It, it is, it, and the key is that um, they're both key to uh, creative problem solving, but they're both structured enough that they allow teachers and students to walk into complexity and to hold this paradox of, of intellectual humility in complexity to say, wow, I'm in a new space and this is something different and, and I don't know how this system works and because I have the muscle memory of, of design thinking or computational thinking, I know what to do first. I know how to identify 
potential problems. I know how to do empathy research that will help me understand how people experiencing this problem, uh, what, what they know and see, I will be able to then co-construct potential solutions uh, and test those solutions, right? And so, then finally tell the story yes. of those new solutions because that's and, a huge piece of the work. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, you know, like anything new, teachers need some reps on this. They need the chance to do it um, a few times themselves before uh, they do it with students. Um, and, and let's acknowledge that with this new style of teaching, we place-based learning inevitably includes the exploration of problems for which there are no answers. It's not that they're just right. They're not right or wrong. There, there are no answers. There are, these are global problems that none of us have solved. And so it requires with some frequency, the intellectual humility to say, I don't know, but here's how we might uh, take this on together. And, and that's, I think a new mindset for, for many teachers. And I think we can shrink that complexity by following or focusing on the other principle from local to global. Right. So if they can start by looking at their most local context and then move forward to the global context, they'll, they can build that muscle. Yeah. It's, it's actually fun that it can work both ways. Um, that we can come in, a, a student can hear about homelessness or they can hear about poverty in Africa. And then a teacher can say, do you know how many people in a square mile of our school building are, are experienced poverty, right? Or a student who's experiencing um, uh, the traumatic effects of poverty um, may dive into a local version and then a teacher may help them connect it to a global issue. And so, in interesting ways, I think it can work uh, both ways. Yes, it's fascinating because it's all of the principles are so interconnected and they really work together to make place-based education accessible. And one of the things, one of the graphics in um, the book that I paid specific attention to because of my work in universal design for learning, we talked about I don't remember exactly what that graphic is, but it talks about um, access, use, benefit. So they need to have access to the opportunities and then they need to use the resources or whatnot in order for there to be any benefit. And so often we give kids or learners access, but we don't pay attention to whether or not they're using the resource. And without any use, there is no benefit. And then we cycle into that never-ending cycle of, well, it's not working because people aren't using it. Right. It's a design issue, right? Yes. I love it. I absolutely love it. So when does the book come out officially? The book comes out March 9. It's available for pre-order now. Um, the book was um, was published by ASCD, and they've been a, a terrific partner to work with. Yes, so I actually pre-ordered a copy, and this podcast will go live, um, I think, like March 
fifth or sixth. So whatever that Friday is. So it'll be perfect timing for everyone listening to go out and get that book. And then are you doing a speaking tour? Are you doing some, are you talking about this for the next year, wherever you are? Uh, I will be with my, my co-authors were Nate McLennan from Teton Science School, um, tetonscience.org, and uh, Emily Leaptag um, from uh, a new organization called Boundless. And the three of us will be on the conference circuit um, hosting uh, workshops at a, at a conference near you. Yes, that's fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about place-based education. It aligns perfectly with our theme of places and spaces in our modern learners community. And I appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Thanks so much for uh, great uh, questions and comments. Thanks for listening to the Modern Learners Podcast. We're digging into places and spaces in the Modern Learners community this month. Be sure to head over to modernlearners.community and sign in or sign up. You'll be greeted by like-minded educators putting the focus back on learning. Be sure to come back next week. We'll be talking with Lenny Scott Weber about her work to redefine and redesign learning spaces to create a more collaborative and authentic learning experience. See you next week.